she said something along the lines of like when you were a kid if you were scared that there was a monster under your bed i would never say there's not a monster under your bed that's not gonna like stop you feeling like there's a monster under your bed you are listening to made of human also known as the mopad a podcast hosted by sophie hagen who is a danish comedian trying to find out how to do life but it turns out nobody knows is a special episode. I'm laughing because I keep calling the episode special for for a variation of reasons, but it is a special episode because I don't know if you remember or if you listened to the episode I did ages ago with Hadley Fraser. The reason why that was a special episode was because uh, Hadley Fraser was very, very, very indirectly one of the reasons that I moved to the UK because he was in this musical that I watched and that made me go to see a musical in Copenhagen. And when I saw that musical, I met a guy uh, who was in that musical and I fell in love with him and we dated, I thought, for a bit. (laughs) Then it turned out it hadn't been dating. Long story. And I was heartbroken, utterly, utterly heartbroken. And as a punishment to him and a treat for me it wasn't a punishment for him but I ended up going to London to see a bunch of his favourite musicals uh, Hedy Fraser was in one of those musicals and part of it was that he'd kind of in the beginning of my whole musical theatre kind of situation so I went to London to see Hedy Fraser in Les Mis so that's why that was a very special episode for me the reason why this is a special episode sort of in the same vein is that uh, the second time I met Chloe Oh, and we'll talk about this in the podcast, what actually happened. But uh, I had a huge, huge revelation in my kind of uh, psychological development thing. I talked about that whole experience with my therapist for, I mean, so many weeks. Because <laughs> it really, oh, it did so much for my psyche and my self-improvement and self-development and all of that. Uh, so speaking to Chloe now properly without... um a minor catastrophe happening around us was really nice. And on top of that, uh, Chloe is just incredibly funny, incredibly intelligent and warm and funny and just a great human. And you are going to absolutely, if you don't already know her, you're going to absolutely love her. She's part of the Lull Word, this uh, queer collective comedy night in London, which Jodie Mitchell is also a part of. And uh, Jodie Mitchell, so it was through Jodie that I met Chloe. And we all know Jodie from Secret Dinosaur Cult, my other podcast. So I want to let you listen to the Chloe Pets episode in just a bit. Remember to... Um... Oh, I don't know what I was going to ask you to remember. I forgot what I was going to ask you to remember. <laughs> Fun stuff. So I want to just quickly tell you or remind you that I'm going on tour of the UK in May, April and June 2019. I'm going to be all over the place. Dates and stuff you can find on sophiehagen.com. It's a stand-up slash book tour. So it's going to be an hour of stand-up and then it's going to be an hour of book readings, Q&A 
I don't know, something like that. Uh, I'm gonna something book related, and then I'm gonna be selling the book and signing the book and stuff afterwards. The tour is called Bubble Wrap Happy Fat. Bubble Wrap is my first show that I did in 2015, which I've never toured before, but now's the time. And Happy Fat is my book, which is available for pre-order now. It's a book about why it's okay to be fat. I am doing two shows in Denmark in April in Copenhagen and Aarhus of my new show, The Bum Swing. <laughs> uh, after that, I will take the show to um, Edinburgh and hopefully on tour after that. All of this you can find in more information about on sophiehagen.com where you can also sign up for my newsletter to get a bunch of secrets sent to your inbox once or twice a month. You can also buy filmed versions of my two previous shows if you can't come out to see a live one you can uh, download them for five pounds each website sophiehagen.com that's where all of that stuff is if you need more podcasting in your life and who doesn't go and download secret dinosaur cults that's my other podcast that i do with jody mitchell and it's a queer live comedy podcast about dinosaurs and daddy issues and trauma it's like Mopart, but in front of a live audience and funnier and weirder and stranger. And <laughs> I mean, it's actually nothing like the Mopart, but I'm so in love with it. And if you can, please come to one of the live shows. All of the information is on secretdinosaurcult.com. I will now let you listen to the magnificent person that is Chloe Petz. <laughs> For people who might not know who you are, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Have we started? Yeah, we're starting now. Oh, sick. Okay. Uh, yeah, my name is Chloe Betts <laughs> and I am a comedian and I just had a haircut. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I was waiting for that to be, <laughs> to be pointed out. I've just had a haircut. And you've just become a vegetarian? Um, do you not want to claim the label yet? That's, that's, would you think you'd be claiming a label if I was? I don't know. I think so. well I'm not eating meat that's what I'm saying okay but I I know that it's not become part of your I don't think I'll be able to sustain it forever okay. is it a January thing or are you just going to keep going till it's January so far and uh-huh. then we'll sort of reassess on the 31st of January there are 31 days in January <laughs> oh I don't know let's assume <laughs> oh just it's keep before February which is kind of short so it should there's no logic is there I'm just going to go really hard on the meat in February. <laughs> Make up for lost time. Twice as much. <laughs> well, what was that? Was that like a... That was a New, Year, New Year's resolution. Yeah, New Year's resolution. Is that a thing you do? Do you do New Year's resolutions? Is it a... I always do. Yeah? Every year I'll write out like 10. <clears throat> and some of them become like... I do them really extreme so that even if I pick up like a little bit of it, then at least I've oh, improved in some way. Yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah. think that works for some people because I think if they can't yeah. meet the extreme, they're just like, oh, I'm never going to, I won't even bother to try. Yeah, but you can you can deal with that of just... Ish, yeah. That's a, I feel like that's a bigger thing. Like, can you do that in general with, are you okay with, um, what's the word for it, like all or nothing? Are you okay with it being half? Uh, historically, I haven't. I'm a massive perfectionist. And have found it really, really difficult when I've kind of set out to do stuff and haven't been able to. And uh, found that uh, that real feeling of failure. And that's really quite, well, that's quite hard to reconcile, isn't it? But but I think I've got better and improved. And I, I think that's been one of my resolutions in previous years as well, is like, be less hard on yourself. And 
if you don't meet or, or just set like little goals within the big goal and that's okay if you don't meet it you're you're not a bad person kind of thing where does that come from oh, i just punched my microphone where does that come from does that come from something you've just because that feels like a self-improvement thing it seems like a thing you might learn in therapy you know to be less critical of yourself and to be good at pushing yourself towards healthier lifestyle psychology blah 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 mm. is that did that come from somewhere or have you just always been quite good at reassessing the way you treat yourself and you behave in the world oh yeah i think it's come from a place of just like i really i'm like anyone i hate being sad <laughs> I, like i really resent anything or anyone that like stops me being happy and i think that i'm always calculating in my mind like how can i be how can i be happier how can i be happier and i think that comes with a like a natural uh desire or, or movement towards just trying to like make my thinking patterns a little bit better mm, do i mean because i feel like sadness is quite a natural thing yeah exactly like you do need to be sad sometimes but do you not find that i no i just in my head it's like a hierarchy of feelings so like happiness is at the top <laughs> and then like you know sort of everything kind of is below happiness and that's what you should be aiming for but then i swear i was listening it was like it was on some podcast ashley b was talking about it on mine maybe i don't know I've listened to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> She's talking about happiness. I don't remember. What, she say I think good? she was saying something, or this is what I've taken from it anyway, and kind of like revamped it for my own game. <laughs> but there shouldn't be like a hierarchy of feeling because you're going to feel all of the, the feelings. Yeah. And it's just about sitting with the feelings, isn't it? Yeah, that's a hard one though, isn't it? It's, it's, why would you sit with, with feeling sad or feeling angry? Why wouldn't you try and repress it, repress it, repress it so that you can feel happy again? You're an idiot if you don't. I find it's hard. Well, I can feel actively. I can feel. I can. It's almost like I'm looking at myself from the outside when I am sad because I can see myself try to project it onto something. I can see mm. myself, you know, coping with it in weird ways. But I can. I can see it consciously. Okay. Like, right. You're just. You want to text this person and say, fuck you, it's your fault. But it's not, and you know that. <laughs> and, and, but the alternative is to just sit with it and just be sad. And that feels so... Uh, no, it's better to be able to blame someone. Yeah, definitely. Well, do, yeah, I don't think I'm a big blamer. I think I maybe internalise it a little bit too much. And that can make me a little bit trampled on sometimes. Yeah. Because I would say that I'm outwardly a very extroverted and quite assertive person but I think in close relationships I am always like taking responsibility for the you know if there's an argument I'll always be the one that kind of like lies prostrate on the floor prostrate or prostate <laughs> I'm just prostate. learning from you, so I'll use whatever <laughs> word you determine is true. It's definitely prostate. <laughs> I lied. I lay prostate on the floor. That sounds like a Nick Cave song. No, it is. It is prostrate. I don't. That's mean. <laughs> um, oh wait. Is, oh, I don't. It's not important. It really isn't important. Uh, but I'm always the one that's just like, oh, it was my fault. I'm really sorry. And then sometimes I'm like, hang on a minute. No, it it wasn't on that occasion. You should be texting someone saying, fuck you. <laughs> but isn't that the general balance of just learning to 
it's that thing of giving as much of yourself as is healthy, but also standing up for yourself as well. It's the difference between taking responsibility slash blaming yourself and being assertive and standing up for yourself slash being mean to someone else. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And it's, I feel like it's, the whole thing is like a balance between, oh God, I was too much of that now. I was too mean to myself. I was too, I, I mean, I'm never mean to people like that, but I put it, I uh, put the responsibility too much on someone mm-hmm. else or... Mm-hmm. I feel like it's almost impossible to just be straight in the middle and do exactly the right amount of the right things. Yeah. I think I think the important thing that I've learned recently is just to be really like cognizant and uh, self-aware of that, exactly the kind of thought process that you've described. And it's just, again, like giving yourself permission not to be perfect, but but just be self-aware and try and be as good as you can within that context. <laughs> Tell me about the show you're doing is so it's called Alpha. Yeah. You're doing at the Vault. Doing at Vault, yeah. And what's what? what tell me, sorry. So to, I haven't really written it. <laughs> what's the idea behind? Bear in mind, it's going up next month. Like, yeah. <laughs> do come. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be absolutely brilliant. <laughs> it's it is literally just going to be like an hour of me throwing shit at the wall. I see what sticks. But then you forget that, like, you've then still got a shitty wall. Like, you've got a wall, a wall covered in shit. Oh, no. <laughs> it's going to be fine. <laughs> uh, so, basically, yeah, it's called Alpha. And I think that I've been thinking a lot recently about my masculinity and how, where that's come from and how I've come to accept it and also really love it and enjoy it and value it but then also how that kind of as a very masculine woman how that then I am then seen in the world and um yeah I think that the the, I get a lot of um like random acts of aggression on the the street Mm. and I found that really interesting and I was speaking to the comedian Pierre Novelli about it, who's like a tall, mask, quite masculine guy, and he said that he never had a conversation with someone about the thing of just walking down the street and a guy just coming and starting on you, and that happens to him as well, and that happens to me a lot, and it because I get mistaken for a man. Mm. And then I was kind of thinking, so I've I think I've been the victim of a hate. That's a victim, like a hate crime. Yeah. But what one? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. is it a random act of male aggression? Have they been transphobic to me even though I'm not trans? Or is it homophobic? And I think that that's like a really interesting thing that I kind of want to inter- interrogate is why is it that I am literally just walking along the street or I'm on the bus or I'm wherever and someone just wants to start something with me? And I don't think that I'm come across as an intimidating person or like I'm looking for a fight or anything. So... Yeah, that's the alpha thing. Oh, that's interesting. Has, have you always have you have you always felt like you're masculine? Have you always been? I don't, what's, I don't know what the words are for this. Presented as masculine? Have you always? Um, not because um, I've only known you for a few months or so. Yeah, and to me, you've just been this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, was there a time when you had uh, little pigtails and a dress? <laughs> Absolutely not. So, when I was a kid, it was always like. Crystal Palace tracksuit and trainers and will get mistaken for a little boy all the time. And it did upset me. And 
but it was only it only upset me if so it like embarrassed someone else that was around me mm, yeah, yeah whereas if i was like with my brother and he knows it happens all the time like he didn't care so like, it didn't bother me and then when i got to school i was still like pretty masculine and then i hit puberty and then i tried to sort of like assimilate a little bit more but it was only ever like half half-hearted attempts um and it would always come in spells where like maybe I was feeling a little bit extra insecure and I'd kind of try and dress a bit more feminine and I went to prom at 16 in this like sort of uh, very diamante studded princess dress (laughs) oh god Uh, and then yeah when I went to uni I think it was just a gradual process of working out what it was that I wanted to wear and how I wanted to look and, you know, the person that I wanted to be. And that came with, like, lots of experimenting um, with femininity as well as masculinity and seeing what I didn't feel comfortable in and what was, like, the cut-off point, like, where I would draw a line kind of thing. And now, like, I've just drawn a line completely and I just don't wear dresses. I just kind of dress like this all the time. <laughs> and I'm really happy with that. Was there a moment when I'm and now I'm projecting so much because I had a dress moment two years ago now I think where I just realized that I've never liked wearing dresses. Yeah. I've never felt comfortable. I've always well just for my whole life it was just dresses because it was easier than trousers. Yeah. I didn't think I was allowed to wear trousers because I'm fat. So I was like, well, fat people don't wear trousers. That's not a thing. Uh-huh. Don't know where that came from. <laughs> and then I was suddenly like, wait. I was looking through photos of like just all the photos I had on my phone of, and any time I saw myself in a dress, I was like, did I like wearing that? No, no, I didn't. And then, oh, not that either. And I was like, hold on. I've never liked this. And it was such a relief. Yeah. Just chucking out everything that was a dress. It, it felt like, but I'm also very, all of my feelings about gender, sexuality, all of that is fairly repressed. Uh-huh. So it felt a lot like coming up for air, being like, oh, maybe... <laughs> Maybe I just really like not wearing dresses. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> what a great feeling to suddenly have. Did you have that? Have you always been... Um, yeah, I've, I've very much had a, a very similar experience to you. And it, that, maybe different in that I always knew that I never wanted to wear dresses. I just felt like I had to. Mm. You know, I, I you were conscious of that. Like you felt... Did you? Was it a conscious thought that, oh, I should probably... It it wasn't it wasn't a conscious it was a conscious arguments with my mum and mm. uh, and the we're going to you know cousin Susan's wedding like you need to wear a dress and it'd be, I don't want to wear a dress and then eventually just giving in because it's easier to to just go in a dress but feeling that like horrible horrible panic within me of just feeling like disgusting like I would describe it as and I, again I'm, I hope this wording isn't like uh, reductive or, or wrong in any way I felt like I was in drag mm, yeah I know what you mean like like you're, yeah I felt like I was like playing at something but but not like a drag I wanted to be in <laughs> yeah I feel like I felt like now when I'm conscious of the feeling if I was to wear a dress now and I don't, reductive isn't the right word for what I'm about to say. But <laughs> Is it going to be actively offensive? <laughs> maybe not offensive, maybe creepy. Like it, would, it wouldn't be like wearing a dress. It would be like wearing 
a woman who was wearing a dress. It was like, yeah, and because it's like, oh, well, I'm me underneath it, but it's not like it doesn't really fit. You know, I'll still, f- yeah, it feels almost like wearing just another person on the outside, which isn't That's definitely not me. That's yeah. a really nice way of describing it, I think, actually. Did, did you ever have, like, pressure from anyone, like, you need to look feminine, you need to wear a dress? Or was that, I like, get, I think society? I, well, my mom is so, <clears throat> at, is it androgynous? Androgynous, yeah. Androgynous. Yeah. She just, well, she just wears, like, well, I guess masculine, adro- I don't know. She wears men's clothes. Uh-huh. That what's classically, typically, well, she buys in the men's department kind of clothes. And she's very practical. Yeah. Like, well, this just feels better. There's more pockets in this. What? Like, <laughs> she's never worn makeup. She's never done her hair. She's never worn heels. She's, you know, just always yeah. just dressed like that. But it's never, but I didn't grow up with gender. She, we never used woman or girl or I don't think my mom knows what femininity and masculinity even is. So that was just a thing up until... So I don't think I started really... I always thought about clothes and colours. Like, oh, I would just, my dream was to... Oh, if I could just wear, like, red one day and then <laughs> yellow the other day. It was not about dresses, trousers. It was just, oh, it would just be one colour. Oh you just wanted blocks of colour? Yes. And then I inherited my uh, aunt's old clothes and she had jeans in blue, red, orange green and white or something and I found similar colored t-shirts and I was like I was really nervous about going to school because I felt like I was about to go on like the red carpet in front of everyone and people are going to be like oh my god Sophie's wearing all red today <laughs> that was not the case that was not the case I love those arbitrary moments where like you wear a new hat or something and you're like oh my god everyone's gonna be looking at me in my new hat <laughs> and really everyone's like oh there's a lady walking down the street she looks a bit like a man she's got a hat on <laughs> That is literally it. Oh my God, Sophie Hagen is wearing all red today. I was so sure they were going to start <laughs> taking bets, like what colour is he going to be tomorrow? I think tomorrow is going to be blue. Oh no, I think he's going to be green. And I was like, I'll never tell. <laughs> all they did was they said, you know, you have boobs, wear a bra. And I was like to my mom, what's a bra? And that was the only thing they cared about. They once paid me to take my t-shirt out of the trousers because I'd shoved them into the trousers like, um, like Joey in uh, Dawson's Creek. Okay. Who was my role model okay. in terms of fashion? So, I, but but the trousers were my aunt's old trousers, so they went like they're almost like above my breasts, <laughs> and I still shoved this t-shirt into them. It, like, yeah. Anyway, you were very practical. You didn't know what a bra was, but you created your own out of trousers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But no one noticed. No one. No one appreciated the genius. You know. That was uh, no. 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 But you know, you could be like one of those artists that only gets. Recognized after they die, <laughs> the trousers bra. <laughs> yeah, oh, the trousers bra. Rest in peace, Sophie. <laughs> no, but I think the pressure came from because the pressure. Came, I first had to recognize what the pressure was, and I didn't know what the pressure was until. Uh-huh. What? What? I mean, it must have been late teen or something before I realized, because I knew they thought I was wrong, but I didn't know why, so I would just react as like, "Well, fuck you." But then when I started learning, oh, it's because apparently I'm a woman and that means that apparently I have to do this. Oh, shit. And then I started feeling the pressure. And then I think I started trying to live up to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that happened very late. Before that, I didn't even know what they wanted me to do because I d- didn't have that knowledge from home. It didn't make sense to me that that would be a thing. Yeah. Which I guess is in some ways a bit lucky. So the pressure came from 
like I guess like when I started doing comedy and I was started being referred to as a woman, which I had never really had before, and suddenly it was just woman, 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 you're a woman. Welcome to the stage, oh, it's a woman. I'd be like, who? Oh, me. Oh, okay. Uh. And then it started being like, oh, you're wearing that, or yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a really interesting experience. I've always been acutely conscious of the fact that I am a woman. Yeah? Yeah. So it's, And it's always felt... So the the wearing someone else kind of... So I guess, okay, what's the question? Because what I find so interesting about this whole... I don't even know what the broad word for it is. Gender expression or whatever. But so we have... Because we want to logically connect it all. We want to connect uh, butch masculinity with also with uh sexuality mm-hmm. you know it's, you you i imagine it would also be expected to then also be gay mm-hmm. as a woman but then if you were a butch man you would be expected to be uh, and i know my language is so bad on this but then you would then be expected to be straight and yeah i guess what i want to know is in terms <clears throat> of sexuality and in terms of what we've been talking about about gender expression and that yeah what what happened with that well i, I guess this is what i'm also trying to like do in the show alpha is resist what society wants to do, which is, like, package and label. Mm. And I think, like, being a woman has always been incredibly important to me and something that really fits and works for me. And um, alongside that, being masculine is also something that really fits and works. And I guess my anger kind of comes from um the fact that masculinity on a woman is seen as imitating or playing at being a man and i guess what i want alpha to be is saying like we can be as good at being masculine as men can if not better because uh we won't be pricks alongside it hopefully (laughs) (laughs) um but i don't can you repeat your question oh i think it wasn't i don't think you could qualify it as a question i think i just I wanted to put sexuality into it. Sexuality into it as well, yeah. Yeah, but again, like, I'm really happy to be called uh, queer because I think that's really important to, as as a, I think I was talking about this with my friend on the weekend, like, the word queer is super important because it gives us as a community, like, a commonality, but also a space to be really different and not have to be labelled within that because like the way that I experience my lesbianism versus how someone else does is going to be completely different so queer is really good because it allows us but I am also incredibly comfortable saying yes I am lesbian because that label is um something I've like fought for within myself and feels really important well, when was that fight like 16 17 18 uh, I, I think I was new and like looking back you know you can you can see now as an adult that there was all of these little telltale signs but um yeah 16 17 18 and then came out to some people summer before I went to uni and then I was kind of out at uni and then came out properly to my parents when I was like 21 wow yeah was it an option because that the way that woman and man and that was never I never felt like I had to think about that when I was a child that only came later did you have it as a did you were you aware that it was a thing when you were a child 
Um, I'm not really sure. I remember like knowing. I remember hearing what the words "gay" and "lesbian" meant, and just being like, "Oh yeah, I already knew that." At maybe like six or seven. Um, and I don't know where that came from. Same as like when, when my. I remember I was sitting in the back of the car with my brother one time and an advert came on the radio for condoms and my brother was like, mum, what's a condom? And my mum was like, well, you know, like how you make a baby. And I had never heard this word before, but I don't, well, I must have done, but I don't know where it came from, but just I went, sex. <laughs> and I don't know how I knew that word, but it's just there. Yeah. Like you, you pick it up from somewhere, the, the vocabulary is there somewhere. But that, that's what it felt like with like gay and lesbian. It, it just felt like... I kind of knew what that was as a concept and I never interrogated what I was between the ages of zero and 14. I just was like happy with the fact that I had little crushes on like, you know, member of the S Club Juniors or (laughs) some girl at school. I didn't, because you're a kid, you don't need to like apply language to it. Yeah. You just experience it. And I never thought, oh, that's wrong. I just experienced it. Yeah. And I guess it was only when I got the language, when I was like 13, 14, that I was like, oh, I shouldn't be this. This is wrong. Yeah. I remember my shame story is <laughs> my friend coming out to me. We must have been 15. And it took so much courage from her. She was really like shaking. She was so scared. And she was like, I'm bisexual. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. And she was like, well, I'm into both men and women. And, and I was like, I started laughing at her. I was like, yeah, you jerk. Everyone feels like that. That's just, that's just normal. Oh. And that's how I realized. <laughs> poor, poor girl. She's now married to a man. I'm like, oh, did I? What did I do? <laughs> you firmly sent her back into the closet. Get back in the oh, closet, you silly, there, you, you silly lady. St- <laughs> So I know because that I guess I guess that must be the feeling when you're a child. You just kind of assume, well, everyone must feel like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe we should just like go non-verbal as a society. <laughs> just say nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. <sighs> oh, it would be so good. This podcast would be shit, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd have to do a YouTube video instead. What? Still just be sat there. Just, <laughs> yeah, perfect. So just, we can still eat. We just didn't eat. I'm going to do that anyways. Fuck it. <laughs> a guy did ask a question on another podcast. Someone said to me something like, oh, so imagine you could you could stop the whole world from... It was like this really weird question about if someone's threatening to quiet the entire world so that everyone, no one could speak anymore and you could do something to stop it. And then the question was something like, something completely different. And I was like, you have to go back. I wouldn't stop it. <laughs> that sounds so nice. A whole quiet world. Or even just one where you could choose who got to speak. Uh, well, absolutely you would have one where you choose who got to speak. Yeah, like Simon says, when well, you're Simon... Isn't that just, sort of the... You can just point at people and be like, speak now. Your turn. <laughs> well, that's your question. And, and only I can then. silence you if I don't like it, oh. so... <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> well, my friend and I have this, like, wish that everyone would do exactly as we please without us having to ask them. Mm. And I feel like that would fit... You're allowed to have that in my world, yeah. Into that mantra. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So what... Um, 
So you came out when you were 21? Like to my parents, I was so out. Parents, you were out before then. that. Was that, does, does that feel different? <clears throat> does that have a moment of, oh, now it's out there, now I'm... Yeah, that, that was the moment where I felt like I didn't need to withhold any of myself from any of the different pockets of my life. And, you know, even on social media, I could be be out and stuff and I, I think it tied in with me starting to do stand-up I knew it was something that I wanted to talk about on stage and if people were going to be posting bits of my stuff online or I was going to be doing queer gigs or whatever I just didn't want the Facebook spies to go back to my mum and be like Chloe's gay <laughs> I wanted to be in control of that um, I'm always so curious <clears throat> and interested into finding out what changes I guess not subconsciously but you know the little things that can um, how do you explain this? So, if something big changes, small things will automatically change. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Was mm-hmm. there any kind of weird thing where you're like, oh, I didn't know that was going to be part of my of the change? What when I came out? Yeah, um, but it could also be with other the other changes we've talked about about realizing the moment when you realize, oh, this is me, or this is a this is this applies to me, or this is a thing that I'm now okay with. Or that's a really good question. Um, there's none that I can think of off, off the top of my head and I, I think it, it really has only been over the past couple of years where I've really noticed the things that you just kind of spoke about where I've just felt incredibly comfortable in my own skin and in myself <clears throat> and um, I just think it's like it's really nice just to be able to go like for coffee with my parents and talk about who I'm dating or like um, you know the the gay experience, the queer experience, whatever. Um, just feel really relaxed, really happy, and like I think it's had an impact on because I feel so like seen and valued in you know with my parents and with my friends at work. That's meant that like my expression of my masculinity has come. A lot more out because you know if someone gives me his stick for it on the street i'm literally just like that is your problem not mine um so yes that's really nice isn't it i was gonna ask you about that like how you what what do you then do when you are when someone comes up to you in the street and is aggressive what's your reaction to it it depends what mood i'm in some sometimes if i'm in like a really like fortified resilient mood i'll just be like do you know what mate go away um <clears throat> or i'll just a good one, really good one. My favourite one at the moment. Stare them down. Don't say anything. Just stare them down. Because if you do need to say something, eventually you've given yourself the time and space to think what it is that you're going to say, so that you don't have that thing where, like, you just say, yeah, just like, just go. <laughs> you you think a really good comeback, and you're not like regretting it in the shower two days later. Oh, I should have said this. But also, like, if you just stare at someone, they think you're mental. They don't know what's going on in your head. <laughs> you think like, oh, maybe maybe this girl's really dangerous. <laughs> that's, like, that's really good advice. I think it's I, I, honestly, if that's one piece of advice I give, if someone's giving you stick, just stare. How does it feel? I know that's such a soft question, but does that? Do you think? I mean, because I think of the outside as dangerous, and I don't get that. And I just think outside is dangerous for. All the reasons. There are people, they might speak to you. <laughs> Even if they just say hello, I'm like, oh no, this is terrifying. How does it feel to know that the outside space is a place where that can happen and people will suddenly be aggressive to you? Um, 
I think like um, consciously I don't really acknowledge it, but I can definitely feel like a real tension in within me when I move around London. Um, like I just think, <clears throat> you know, those kind of primal threat receptors in your brain, mine are always pinging. I'm always, like every time I get on the tube or on the bus, I'm like, looking around sort of analyzing is there a threat here is there someone staring at me is this going to kick off do i need to protect myself and i think that like that level of tension within me causes a real constant feeling of stress yeah it's very very tiring it sounds like it and you must have days where you're like i'm not no, not today. Yeah, yeah. And that's and then when my resilience is low and if someone approaches me and gives me a bit of stick, that's when I will do the like, fuck you, what are you doing? Get away from me like and and get aggressive. Wow. Yeah. Where are you at right now? Like this very moment when we're having this chat, in your life you've just decided to maybe be vegetarian for a bit maybe you're doing a show in a month that you haven't written it's just been christmas <laughs> where are you at right now in your and i'm not gonna say the words emotional journey but i might insinuate that that's what i mean <laughs> where, where are we meeting you right now <clears throat> probably like a place of happiness probably the most happy and comfortable in myself i've ever been in my life and i think that's because i've accepted that accepted that it's a work in progress and like things aren't perfect there are things I want to work on within myself and um and um but that's that's okay because I'm getting better and better at all of the things I want to get better and better at that's a really nice belt talk to me about vulnerability because you strike me as someone who's good at it really yeah I mean, I based this on having met you twice or something. You've met me twice. Yeah. On the first occasion, I was absolutely hammered. <laughs> was so drunk. What, was I that yeah, drunk? Because yeah, no, Jodie messaged me the next day like, you were, you were drunk. But I didn't know you. I didn't know that was just who you were. I didn't so, know how much of it was drunkness and how much was, oh, that's your personality. <laughs> what was I doing? Oh, you were being really funny. Yeah, I mean, that's just my personality. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) No, I think you were... No, you just had energy, I think. I didn't think... I mean, I didn't clog anything that was embarrassing. I didn't think I was embarrassing. Not at all, no. (laughs) It's always just the next day when someone's like, ooh, okay. You're like, okay, maybe. You just seemed um, ready to... Ready to speak. Uh, Like, you you uh, you were... there was no, you know, like, oh, I wonder who's going to say something next. But but that's, that is, I feel a huge social responsibility to not allow anyone to feel uncomfortable. And that's something I've been working on recently. Like to allow, <clears throat> so now you want, you want to allow people to feel uncomfortable. No, no, I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. I just think what will usually happen in a conversation is I'll go into it. And if it's like um, getting uncomfortable or someone's not doing their side of the the social transaction i will overcompensate and do it for everyone but now i'm just like hang on a minute that's not my responsibility Mm. i will do my bit but if someone else can't do theirs then that's up to them i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do it for them kind of thing but is it yeah it's interesting it's interesting you say that that i just like arrived and just spoke (laughs) 
was lovely. It was wonderful. It was more the second time I met you where I thought I was quite in awe of how you were able to be quite open about you were in a bit of a shitty place in your life or in your, your time, whatever you call it. In that day, you had a, had a bad thing happen. And you were, what's the word? Reciprocating? No, uh, you were open to, you were receiving, open to receive people's care and affection. You were openly being like, I'm very sad. And then people were trying to comfort you. And I was watching it thinking, like, I, f I felt like a robot. It was a huge, I just talked about this in therapy so much. Because I was like, I witnessed someone just being open about their sadness with a bunch of friends who were being really caring towards them. And I sat there feeling like, oh, how do you, uh, like, I, if I was sad, I would stay at home under the covers and I would maybe text people, but then I could never be that open about my emotions in that way before I had processed them and made them into something that was useful or then I would be apologetic about it. Uh, Yeah, so I'm really curious about... Well, me and my therapist are really curious about <laughs> that aspect of you just being like, oh, hey, I'm sad. Here are my emotions. I think it's just like in that specific... So, so basically what had happened is um, Sophie and I were doing... I'm now explaining to the, no, the listeners at home. <laughs> Sophie and I were doing a gig together and... <clears throat> I was having some difficulties with my then girlfriend uh, and I had to do a gig, <laughs> go off, have the breakup chat and then come back to the gig. Where And, and the reason that I came back to the, the gig, I didn't have to, was but every single one of my friends was in that room. It was one of the low work gigs. And I just knew that that was going to be like a real haven of love and comfort. And I think... I know that I've been a haven of love and comfort for many of those people in that room at various intervals when they've had real difficulties. And I didn't feel any problem coming back and just going, guys, I really need you now. And they all, all responded in kind. And I think I also have uh, a certain thing where you're obviously very good friends with Jodie Mitchell, who is one of my closest and best friends as well and I also have this thing where if like because you were Jodie's friend and Jodie's like my best friend immediately like you're part of the inner circle <laughs> so I felt really comfortable being like vulnerable and sad around you as even, well even though I reacted by being like so do you have an agent <laughs> and then that was one of the one of the bits was me going afterwards I was it was it was one of the moments that kind of um Like it gave me like a window into, oh, here's an issue in your life. Interesting. Where I thought, wow, so a person was just sad and you reacted by going, hey, kid, I'll teach you about comedy. <laughs> I want to make you a star. <laughs> Basically. Like, why are, you, why are you uncomfortable with allowing sadness to happen? And why are you... Also, the community bit was incredible, just watching this. But the whole night, the lull word is amazing. And it has this feeling of yeah of community and just there's a bunch yeah. of people who like each other and who work really well together and and there's a lot of um things that are implicit that we don't even need to put words to because every, everyone's kind of on the same side of things mm -hmm. and then watching that work even backstage where people just being uh, it, this is the thing is it's such a normal thing 
I am sure so many people have a community of friends with whom they can be sad. <laughs> but to me, I felt like, oh, wow, I'm an alien. Like, I can't, I have not learned to deal with vulnerability yet. And I've not learned to deal with even the closest people to me seeing me sad. Okay. And it was such a, it was a light bulb moment. Of, oh, this looks really nice. <laughs> this, looks, <laughs> this looks really nice, this girl <laughs> sobbing in front of me. What I'm saying is I'm just so happy you went through that for me. <laughs> me and my therapeutic <laughs> journey. I just re- I remember walking over, you and Jodie were talking and I walked over just going, my life is shit, my life. And just your face just like, oh, <laughs> I think I was appreciating the comedy behind you using the uh, the bridal, the wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bridal march. Uh, <clears throat> but no, that's I, I find that incredibly interesting to hear to hear that within you as well because like, that's very alien to me what you describe um and i don't, I don't think like because because ostensibly it was the second time we've met yeah. and i think it was quite an unusual thing for me to offer that much of much vulnerability to someone that i didn't know really so i, I think it's it's very normal and what what is normal that you had a reaction of, ah, this is a lot. <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't a lot. It was beautiful. It was perfect. And I was envious of it. It's the gist of it. I was envious of you not fighting the feelings. And I, like, because I, I kind of knew that I wasn't part of that, mm, you know, mm, ob- and obviously, because I wasn't <laughs> doing the right comforting things. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I'm very much not. Like, I'm like, here, beer, <laughs> drown, <laughs> drown it, drown it in the. <laughs> Yeah. Can I can I can I give you money? <laughs> Would it help if I gave you money? <laughs> what do you need? Can I buy you something? But the thing, the thing is, Sophie, I've I've like reflected on on that night as well, and I thought you were like absolutely delightful, and like it sounds like now you were offering what you were able to in that specific situation, and I loved that you bought me a beer, and I loved that you like. You could have run away. You could have seen that vulnerability and been like, this is too much and gone. But you just sat and let me do it. And that was really nice. Because I I think that's the way I react is by going, I I like facing it. I like facing like this is because what I saw was basically, well, what I'm doing now is making you a horrible breakup about me. (laughs) This is how this affected me. Um, (laughs) No, I think I just saw a part of myself that I wanted to work on. And I saw... I felt myself being so envious of that and I realized, yeah, this is what I want. Like, I, I want to be able to do this amongst people who are okay with me doing it instead of some of my psychopath friends who are like, oh, you're sad. Well, I'll speak to you in a week. Oh, you tell what your friends do? Oh, no, I just have a few of them, which is okay. very comforting for other, for other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there are people like Jody, for example, who's really good at going... I value and appreciate your emotions so and I'm listening it. to you and I'm like, I don't know how I feel about you just accepting my feelings. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Can you just like ignore me for a week because I'm sad? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm just, well, I guess what I'm asking is just like this most normal experience. I assume, Well, again, what is normal, but so are you saying that, f- so that was, you're saying, you're saying that was like a specific or a special occasion. <laughs> Special occasion. Um, or how do you feel in general about vulnerability? Um, yeah, I think really, 
really able to to do it. Uh, <laughs> like yeah, J- Jody's one of those people where we'll check in very regularly with each other and just debrief on all the stuff that's going on. And yeah, I'm very much a person that needs to process things by getting them out to other people. So anytime I have some kind of difficulty or sadness or problem, I've got friends that I'll just bell, bell up. So like Lulu Popperwell, do you know Lulu? Yeah, she's one of my great friends who uh, is always there. Uh, an amazing comedian too um so yeah no I've, i'm really privileged that i have uh amazingly sort of open and receptive people around that allow me to be vulnerable but where does so okay so i think the question is or the uh logically i guess you shouldn't be able to feel it because you're a fair amount under attack a lot you know, like the the public spaces can be challenging because people come up to you and they're aggressive. Yeah, you couldn't wear those dresses that society really wants you to wear. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not kissing as many boys as society would love for you to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you and are. By that we mean zero, <laughs> zero <laughs> boys being kissed. <laughs> Thank you for giving me an episode title. That's exactly what I need. Do you know what? I was sorry to interrupt quickly, but I was scrolling through old episodes of Made of Human, just like, oh my god, I hope I say something that's like title worthy. Right? And you did. There, there we go. go. There it was. <laughs> I guess I'm just. I think it's not. I feel like it's fairly. Uh, we should stop saying normal because that's not a thing. But I feel like it's understandable for a lot of people who are outside of what society deems acceptable yeah to struggle with being vulnerable because every kind of showing of yourself has been met with uh anger and aggression and and uh, oppression and all of that so i think so what is it is it strength is it confidence is it what allows you to be happy and to be vulnerable and to be so much in sync with what allows you to function despite society I, I hope that it, I hope that it is strength and I hope that it is confidence and I I would like to uh, describe myself as those words but I also think it's good to add that even if you do meet adversity with, with something else that's also strength and confidence as well do you know what I mean like I don't think I'm working in the the I I, I yeah I think I'm ba- I'm just well lucky that. Uh, uh, I've got amazing parents and I think it comes from that quite a lot mm. is that as a kid my mum in particular would just always give me space to express whatever I was feeling mm-hmm. and um, like I remember when I was a teenager she said something along the lines of like when you were a kid if you were scared that there was a monster under your bed i would never say there's not a monster under your bed mm. because that's not going to that's not going to like stop you feeling like there's a monster under your bed so instead she would do the like dealing with the feelings rather than the cause of the feelings yeah and i i think that kind of sums up really nicely like how i was parented and yeah i just feel like i've come from like just a really solid family who yeah of just you know like I burst into tears at the dinner table on Christmas day and it was it was just a case of like oh yeah clothes off to cry again like there was no like 
why are you ruining Christmas dinner? Why are you ruining Christmas dinner? It was just like, let her cry, go and do her thing. We'll check in about it later kind of thing. And I think that's... That's really helpful because I think a lot of people who've not had that from home will need to spend a lot of time when they're adults re-racing themselves. Yeah, Like okay. being their own parents. And that's I think that's just a really good piece, even if you didn't mean for it to be, a really good piece of advice to tell yourself when you're like trying to not cry because then the devil will get you or whatever is going on in your particular head. <laughs> it might be good to say, to, to do that in within your own head and go acknowledge the, yeah, you're feeling this way. Maybe that's okay. Yeah, 100%. Tell me, um, tell me about football. Oh, yes. <laughs> So, you know, you do that question at the end where you're like, what do you want people to ask you? Yeah, I was about to ask you, then I, thought, <laughs> and then I said, I, I think I know this one. I think it's I know football. This one. It's always football. Uh, so, yeah, what's that about? I just love, I love football. And I, I <laughs> you know how they say, like, there's that, that thing boys think about sex like every yeah how in five seconds yeah, seconds like that, yeah that's me in football like every every 12 seconds i'm like you know thinking about it thinking about who signed who thinking about the score at the weekend um i just yeah what is it i don't know so yeah. i've loved it since i was a kid um my dad uh kind of said he, he's a massive Palace fan and has always loved football. And Palace fan is Crystal <coughs> Palace, Crystal Palace. Which is the team you support. Just translating. The team that I support. Um, the pride of South London, uh, as we call them. <laughs> so my dad kind of, I think, made a conscious decision when me and my brother were born that he wouldn't like force Crystal Palace upon us or he wouldn't force football upon us. But then as soon as I was able to make a decision, like at the age of three, about what I wanted to wear... I was constantly in Palace Kit and Wellies. <clears throat> My parents were very heavily involved in the church and the Bishop of Borneo, who's like some kind like quite big deal in like the church, came and stayed with my family. And there's a picture of it, like him in his sort of like, you know, God vicar shit. <laughs> and me in my palace kit and my wellies. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Um and then I, I started playing football when I was younger and I played um, till the age of about 15 but I really didn't enjoy playing and I think it's because I, uh, I'm i a perfectionist and I would put a lot of pressure on myself and if we didn't win then I would take that really really hard and it would cause me lots of anxiety I'd be sick before all of the games and I just was like this isn't this isn't worth it <laughs> um, but I've maintained that just passion and love for going to watch it. And I think it's the thing that brings me the greatest joy in my life is football. I find it so fascinating and great. I think I've always seen football as this, you know, the stereotypical, it's a lad, lad thing. It's aggressive. It's about fighting. And it wasn't until I met, well, Mark Watson was kind of the introduction to it in a way where it doesn't have to be a horrible thing and then actually watching it from another point of view is really fun yeah yeah. it's really fun it's really fun yeah it's the funnest (laughs) the funnest (laughs) is it worth it when it's not going well 
No, it's horrible. It's the, it's the most horrible thing. So the weekend after the breakup, uh, I had found it really difficult to, like, you know, do the things that you would normally do when you're not, like, get out of bed, for example, take a shower. Um, but I managed to drag myself to the Palace Arsenal game and I was just sat there like, if we don't do well today, this is going to be really painful. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately we drew with them which was an amazing result and then I was so happy I was like am I this vacuous that maybe I'm not actually heartbroken maybe I was just worried about the football because <laughs> I was so happy <laughs> that's wonderful <clears throat> though uh, yeah go on I, well I also want to acknowledge what you said about uh, the stereotype of football and I think it it is important to acknowledge that, that that still exists within it. And there's a lot of lad culture, systemic racism and overt racism, uh, lots of misogyny. And it's it, when I go to the games, you know, sort of every other Saturday, I do feel incredibly uncomfortable looking the way that I look around a bunch of, you know, often middle-aged gammon. <laughs> Uh, which is horribly gen- generalising but that's that's how I feel and like I took my ex who is a very sort of um, small feminine uh, yeah femme lady to the game and <clears throat> I was incredibly nervous about taking her because this was like my space this was like me showing her my thing that I've grown up with and she was really like, there was just something, something we were nervous. We, I was, I kept being like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And she was like, "Chloe, I'm fine. Like, it's okay." But I could just sense there was, there was something going on. And then she just said, "Like, it's quite an intimidating and threatening atmosphere." And I don't think I'd, because I've grown up with it, had quite acknowledged how difficult it can be for a gay woman to be in that space. And she said, like, when Palace scored her instinct would usually be to like give me a kiss or something but she just wouldn't do it because she felt like we were being watched and stuff so yeah i think i think that's really important too there's something about loud loud shouting men i i it's so it can be so intimate it's really and i don't think they often know how scary it can be how scary it feels like a group of men screaming walking towards you oh, even yeah, if horrible. you're not the the target it's still it's really horrible you just don't know you just don't know where it's gonna where it's gonna go all the aggression all the you know but maybe that's another reason why i'm a bit more equipped to like handle random acts of male aggression is because i've been around it and because i if you if you ever come come to sellers park which is palace's ground it's an atmosphere like it goes off and the ground is shaking and everyone's like singing together and I think because I felt part of that so it's less scary to me yeah you're not the outsider but I love that people have started kind of raising that actually that is quite scary Chloe because it makes me a little bit more aware of how to look after people within that space yeah and maybe also to be an example of a way that Football, what football doesn't have to be, mm-hmm. which I think is something that Mark Watson does, which is very important because he's not 
what you would describe as like the alpha, <laughs> aggressive, oi oi kind of male. I would say he's aggressively beta. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Because I went, I saw a thing with him and I, was, I think we were just like in a pub. And that was the first time I saw the difference between him and like the classic football fanny. Fanny. Football fanny? Football fannies. The football fannies. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, I forgot that some of them are angry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. I think that's. I feel like it's important because there's. I, oh, I. I kind of like the idea of. I felt like it was empowering to look at football as a good thing, and I feel like yeah. I never thought football was a bad thing. I think I just thought football was the same as male aggression. Yeah. So yeah. I think meeting people like Mark, I mean people like you, and hearing you and people like Mark being passionate about it in a non "I'm going to punch you in the face" mm-hmm. kind of way, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. And there should be a. a a platform for that, which I'm, I'm sure there is, but I like. I would love for people who study into football to know about that existing, that aspect of it existing. That that does exist, but I would also say the the alternate side does exist, and just make sure you're protecting yourself, kind of, um, and you're like fortifying yourself against hearing some unfavorable stuff. Like there have been Tommy Robinson chants in Palace oh just from a small minority, which I think have been challenged and etc but it, it does happen but but i think it's important to remember like where the footballing culture comes from in the sort of 60s 70s 80s and it was the only outlet for like a generation of young men that didn't have anything else going for them because the country was in you know economic difficulty um, they might be working in a factory or down the mines or something and their only escapism was the football and so yeah you you can see you can see where that heritage has come from mm. but it also makes sense that there is a place where it's okay for men to show emotions so of course it all comes out yeah it's yeah. What, thousands of men screaming mommy didn't hug me <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm really sad right now but it comes out as oi 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 but it, but it's also it's also like I don't know how to express my emotions, so I'm gonna go out and have a massive fight on a Saturday. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. Um, but when Denmark lost in the World Cup, I was more sad than I had been for so long, and I could not understand it. I was like, I, I barely care, I barely care, but yet it felt like my heart had been torn out of my chest, and oh, it just sorry, made. Sorry. Don't, it, you're gonna make me cry again. <laughs> Actually, sorry. Uh, do you want some, some no, money? Don't, do you don't. want some money? I don't want money. <laughs> I don't want. Money. Can I just find? Um, so I'm sorry. That's okay. I've I had a very similar experience to you after Croatia knocked England out of uh, the World Cup, and I'd like to try and find the text that my mum sent me. Okay. Um, as England were about to be knocked out of the World Cup. Is it, do you, can I take a little... Oh, yeah, take your time. Okay. Oh, God. So, context. Sat in a pub. I've sunk about 12 pints at this point. And that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> and uh, England, I think, have just... It's it's one all. We haven't gone down 2-1 yet. But Croatia are coming at us and it looks like they're going to score. Yeah. And I'm getting really worried. And my mum texts me... <laughs> saying it is it is 
oh, sorry it is exactly for this moment we raised you as palace supporters you need to dig deep and believe we are good enough to lose this and bad enough to win it be strong be england be pets and i sobbed <laughs> that's so beautiful <laughs> i sobbed for 10 minutes <laughs> surrounded by a bunch of football yobs pointing and laughing at me it's horrible it's beautiful i think it's beautiful yeah i love it i love i really like it. <laughs> please don't cry i'm gonna i'm gonna have to go in th- therapy again <laughs> oh she, she was there again she did it again <laughs> maybe maybe i'm sort of like some kind of like guardian angel or something that's come and taught you how to f- deal with emotion just cry at me for a while till, I'm, till i finally accept it uh and would would that have been your answer to the question of what would you most like to be asked <coughs> oh is there a specific thing within football oh uh, another thing in all completion if no I said no i think it would be that yeah yeah 100 percent. just the question of Football. Can we talk about football? Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I, no, I have th- I have this thing where um, because I have to meet a lot of new people in my day job and uh, my also like doing stand up, it can be really emotionally draining to have to do small talk all the time. So the go- the go to is for me is do you like my first one of my first questions? Do you like football? And if if it's yes, then I know. Few we've always got something to talk about. And that just takes a bit of pressure off. Do you want to or can you talk about your day job? Uh, yeah, I, I can. Yeah? Um, I Yeah. You don't want to? No, I, I'm more than happy to just say what I do, but there might yeah. be some questions within it that I'm... I feel like I'm mostly just... Because <clears throat> what I want to know is just how... Yeah, how you emotionally deal with your job. Okay. okay. I'll tell you my job, then yeah. I'll tell you the one question that I hate being asked. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, Was that the one? Which you won't ask. No, no, oh, no. Thank that, God. That's fine. Uh, so my day job is I work with homeless people as an outreach worker in Westminster. So I assist people on the streets into accommodation. That's kind of the broad um, definition of what I do. And the question that people always ask me, and it's always like, after 10 pints at a party like should i give money to homeless people and i'm just like honestly just do what you like just do what you like <laughs> i feel like that's being asked with the implicitness of please tell me i shouldn't isn't that why people ask that or is is that the the, the feeling around the question is that like uh please tell me that i'm not being a bad person when i'm deciding not to yeah Potentially, I, I worked. I was a street fundraiser for a while, and so I, the type of question of, yeah, but does it really matter? Isn't all the money just going to the administration? Or there's always like a, an undercurrent underneath those questions that is, is it not just okay if I do nothing? Yeah, tell me, yeah. tell me that I'm doing okay, anyways. I also think it's it's like maybe I'm being unfair because it is that thing of we're at a party, we've only just met. Uh, Let's try and keep this conversation going. So they just think of the first question. So maybe I'm just being really no, no, no. It's unfair. No, I well, my I've have quite aggressive feelings about stuff like that. I absolutely <laughs> refuse to tell people that they're doing enough, and that's the only thing people want to know is. But I'm already supporting this, this, and this. And I'm already doing that, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, but you should be bankrupting you yourself by you giving could still, all you of could your still. You could still. Is that a drink you're holding in your hand? Oh, how much was that? Oh, interesting. <laughs> I refu- I re- I'm not going to be like, 
yeah, I know you're right. You are doing enough. I just can't do it. It's against everything I've been taught in my uh, in my job. Anyways, that wasn't the point. Really? Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Full on. I, I used to be a team leader for like the uh, the I don't know what the English word like a project. I ran the department that would uh, the fundraising department that would do phone calls to people and tell them to support yeah. the cause. And there was no excuse. There was no excuse for why people should wouldn't support. I would not accept any excuse. Oh, really? why, why did you hang out? Why? Oh, no, she was already supporting Red Cross. Uh-huh. So she already knew that supporting so was know, good. Yeah, you know that better she, than anyone else. she's going to give. <laughs> she was a single mother. My mom's a single mother. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> really aggressive about it. It's not my, is that my pretty side? Uh, <laughs> it's not pretty side, I must say. <laughs> I fully, fully believe it. But I think the... Is that a well? You feel you seem. I f- I feel like you know from knowing you for very little. I feel like you n- know how to, not take your job home with you. Am I right to assume that? Because if it, it's you know a lot of. A lot of it, I imagine, can be quite heavy or quite. Uh, you know, I imagine you meet some people who've not had it easy. Yeah, to say the least. Uh, I don't actively take it home with me. Um, I'm very good at. Like, once I walk out the door at work, I'm out the door, I'm gone. But there will be times where I notice, like, physical symptoms within myself where I just can feel that I'm really stressed because I've got a particularly high caseload or because I'm working with a client who's in a particularly different time and maybe I'm getting a bit of, like, vicarious trauma from that. And that will be, like, I've got this... uh, sort of like break out on my face which is kind of like an infection and I know that if that's there then I'm feeling particularly stressed or um you know so so there are there are things physical things within myself that I can tell like okay I'm a bit stressed now maybe I need to talk to my manager uh and I also just think like we're in a particular time where homelessness is getting worse and worse and it's not getting any better and I feel like what I'm able to do is just scratching the surface of an awful awful national problem and I think once your work stops becoming fulfilling because you don't feel like you're helping as much as you want to be because as soon as you get someone off the streets there's another person on the streets that's when it becomes draining because you're not getting that fulfilment and that's what I'm finding quite difficult at the moment, I think. Mm. Yeah. And do you feel, would you, f- and now I'm projecting 100%. Ha! Project would away. You, <laughs> would you feel like a, would a part of you, I know you're also a logical and intelligent person, so I don't think you would do it fully, but it's a part of you thinking that you'd be selfish if you chose comedy? No. Oh, good. No, 100% no. Good. It's done my time. And you don't think that one should feel bad for not doing nah. oh good thank you like we've all got our purposes and stuff we've all got stuff that we want to do and yeah. that we need to do and I think we should 100% go and do that and the reason that I do this is because I want to be a stand-up comedian but I don't want to but I know that I need a job that pays money to do that so I don't want to be sat behind a desk feeling unfulfilled from 9 to 5 I want to do something alongside that that makes me feel like I'm not wasting my time like, I'm not just waiting for the clock to go down so I can go and do comedy. Do you know, I want yeah, two yeah, things yeah. in my life that make me feel good. But once... But but also, like, I just... 
I don't I also don't work with homeless people just because like I see them as charity cases that need my help. I do it because it gives me loads as well. It it allows me to meet new people from a diverse range of backgrounds every day. It it teaches me how to talk to those people from diverse ranges of backgrounds every day. They'll tell me stuff and help me to learn and stuff. So it's doing so much for me as well as me doing stuff for them. And that's why I do it. And I wouldn't be nearly, you know, obviously I've got a massive way, way to go in my, my stand-up comedy journey, but I wouldn't be nearly as good as I am now if I didn't do that job because it's taught me all of the things that I need for stand-up. Resilience, you know, how to think on my feet, um, you know, how to find humour in a shit situation. And, yeah, I, I but... So it really works for me as a job, but if it don't for someone else, that's absolutely fine. Like, don't feel bad about it. It's fine. I feel like this has been an abnormally therapeutic episode for me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've gotten way more out of this than you have. Ah, oh, I've got loads out of it. It's been yeah. really nice. I mean, your shows will now sell out because everyone listening will be like, oh my God, we have to go and see your show at Vault Festival. At Vault Festival. It'll definitely happen. Alpha, working progress. Chloe Pets. Chloe Pets. <laughs> Two T's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the last question. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> You're in the hospital. You're in the delivery room. Oh. You are holding yourself as a teeny tiny baby so little chloe in her um crystal palace what's it called baby clothes <laughs> <laughs> oh you're really painting a scene here <laughs> she's crying and crying because she's very very scared of how the world is going to look because there's lights and sounds everywhere and that wasn't in the womb and now this is very scary this wasn't what she was promised and She's kind of looking at you like, what the, what the fuck? What, what is this? What is this whole world thing? And you know that there's going to be ups and downs. You know there's going to be uh, aggressive men on the street. And you know England will lose. The, uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> and um, you're going to meet an awkward comedian in a pub who offers you beer when you're crying. And, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs in this life. And you can say something to teeny tiny Chloe that might make her feel better about what's about to happen in the next, um, in her life. You can't change anything. So giving advice just doesn't work, doesn't matter. But you can say something about her future to calm her down, make her less scared, if that's what you want to do. What would you say to teeny tiny baby you? I would say <clears throat> there are going to come times in your life where you're faced with a choice between going for something or not going for something. And it would be easier not to go for that thing because if you go for it, it could go wrong and it could cause you pain if it goes wrong. But I would say always, always go for that thing because it could pay off and be something brilliant. But if it doesn't pay off and it's not something brilliant, you're, you don't think before that you're going to be strong enough to handle it but you are 100% strong enough to handle any shit thing that comes your way and it will feel really awful at the time but you will get through it so just take risks that's what I would say do you still need to be told that? a little bit but I'm getting better good <laughs> where can people find your stuff and you so follow me on twitter at chloe pets that's papa echo tango tango sierra is how you spell pets <laughs> sorry i have to do it a lot on my job <laughs> oh, <great. laughs> at chloe papa echo tango tango sierra 
podcast. <laughs> and uh, you can yeah follow that, and I'll put up a bunch of dates for my show at Vault Fest. And also, please come to the Lowell Word. We're at the Vault Fest for the next three months. Um, yeah, so follow us at Lowell Word Comedy, and the dates will be up there. And the um, Lowell Word is a monthly thing in general, so it's not just the next three months. It'll Even yes, if you listen to this in three months' time, it'll still happen. Yeah, so we're doing a bit different for the next three months because we're at Vault Festival, so the dates are a bit different, so check those out on at Lowell Word Comedy on Facebook and Twitter. And then after that, from April, we will be back at the Albany last thursday of every month having the best time and this is all in london but sometimes you do go out of london sometimes we go out of london uh yeah just keep an eye out and we'll we'll always keep you updated it's an amazing night it's it is an amazing night to be fair and it's like super queer friendly super everyone friendly and really funny as well (laughs) it really is yeah cool thanks so much for doing this thank you for having me That was Chloe Pets. If you enjoyed her, and of course you did because she's so enjoyable, uh, go and find her on Twitter and tell her thank you for doing the podcast. I know you would already do that anyways, but I just love it when you do. It's such a nice thing to do because, yeah, it was just so kind of her to come and she's so interesting. If you want to hear her... uh, Oh, no, I'm just going to quickly say, uh, when you're already on Twitter, you can go and follow Made of Human on... uh, at Podmo, P-O-D-M-O-H. You can also find us on Facebook as Made of Human Podcast. And on our website, madeofhumanpodcast.com, you can also get t-shirts and other merch. Now, what I was going to say was, if you want to hear Chloe answer some more questions, uh, you should become a patron. Because if you become a patron on patreon.com forward slash you will hear Chloe answer the questions... Uh, do you have any practical advice to give to people? What was the stupidest thing you did as a teenager? What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done? What do you wish people knew about you? Do you have a recommendation for a book, movie, a piece of art, a podcast, something like that? And also, what is your unpopular opinion? And I can tell you, her unpopular opinion is quite controversial. So, head over to patreon.com forward slash mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D, and become a patron to get... I'll say most weeks, an extra snippet of conversation between me and the guest of them answering these very, very good questions. I'm going to be honest with you. Hearing people's most embarrassing moments. Oh, is that not worth a dollar? Isn't it? Give a dollar. You can give more if you are able to do that to get these extra snippets each week. And if you give more than $5 per episode, you get all of that, but also you get to be a friend of the podcast. That means that I will thank you at the end of the episode, which is, um, let me think, right now. So, the friends of the podcast, uh, the people I would like to thank uh, are the following people. Andrea Papillon, Andy Walker, Anya Knoblauch, Autumn Blue Sky, Barry Norton, Caitlin, Kat Posse, Claire McCowlin, Danny Beckett, Daniel Reifersheet, Daphne Fanger, Eleanor, Emma Appleton, Emma Chan, Fiona Richardson, George Pearson, Hannah Keel, Harold Van Dyke, Harry and Lily French, Harry Minnett, Helena Thomas, Ida Sokolarsen, Inger Ellingsen, James Brand, Janie Mahoney, Joe C, Kathy Draxelbauer, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Engelsen, KT, Kirsten Davidson, Queen T, Maury Fraser, Manso Mir, Marbles Lost, Morak Fraser, Olivia Robson, Paul Swaddle, Perpetual Motion, Pierre Fene, Rachel Hemsley, Rachel Furley, and Rachel Phillips, 
Ragdoll, Robert Knowles, Robin Kappel, Russell Hughes, Sarah Ferreira, Agassiz, Sarah Allett, Sheena Machette, Cole, and Cecil Fjeldtun, Fjel, and Susie Tyler. This is, uh, these are the people who are friends of the podcast as I am recording this, which is always a few weeks before the release date. So if you've just signed up for Patreon, don't worry, you will be on the list at some point. Just hang in there. Um, also, we still have the competition going. At the moment, we still have three Rachels, so the Rachels are winning. If you are called Harry, you can join Harry Minute and Harry and Lily French, or well, Harry French, and you can become the, the, the new group of three. And then you will be a contestant against the Rachels. If you're called Rachel and you join now, you'll be four Rachels. Okay? That is quite a competition, isn't it? Then you have beaten everyone. We also need an Emma to have three Emmas. And we need... Oh, what was the last one? I keep forgetting the last one. Oh, the Sarahs. One more Sarah would be good as well. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to yawn. It's been a long day. One more Sarah would be, one more Sarah would be good as well. Now, okay, I uh, will speak to you next week. I want to say a massive thank you to you for listening, to Chloe Petz for indulging me for about an hour. Thank you to Dave Pickering for producing this episode, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Linda Brinkhouse for the loco. Loco? <laughs> Logo. Jesus Christ. Right, speak to you next Wednesday. Bye. Low power.